Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call, or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course for GP in capitals. And we will definitely catch you then. Hey, EGP learners, special thing for you listening on the pod blast. We're going to be starting Epic. That's the EGP learning pod blast implementation consultation episodes. That's going to be myself interviewing you the EGP learners on the changes you have made in your practices, in your networks, in your areas that have had an impact. If you want to join into that, then absolutely let me know. To do so, you go to bit.ly slash epic apply with the epic, E-P-I-C, being in capitals and the apply lowercase. And you will be able to join in a podcast episode on EGP learning and tell us about all the awesome stuff you're doing. Right now, though, Let's get to this episode that's absolutely awesome. Or is that epic? Let's find out. Hello, EGP learners. Welcome to this episode. Myself and Andy are covering the latest and greatest that's been happening in general practice, including various different news stories that are going to make you a little bit concerned about are we heading towards the end of general practice? We're not talking doom and gloom. We're talking potential reality as we continue to tech enhance your primary care and learning. Let's get cracking, shall we? Hello, EGP Learners. Welcome to this episode where myself and Andy are talking about potentially the end of general practice as we know it. As as we know it. Yeah, that's 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 what people were waiting for. Yeah, not quite okay. over yet. Um, no, no. Actually, as we as we know it. So um, I guess to let people know what what we've got in store for you today mm-hmm. so we'll be talking first a little bit about some of the uh, some of the noises some of the information coming out of the bma um around the upcoming contract negotiations because that's been quite exciting um there's been a report from the king's fund um about the um the impact and mistakes of not investing in general practice sufficiently or primary care sufficiently over the last mm-hmm. few years um a few quick news stories around the waiting times for scans, um, around um, how the Pharmacy First scheme has been doing. There's announcements of a, a new podcast um, from Gandhi. Goodness knows how Gandhi finds the time. Um, and then, yeah, the end of general practice, we know it. So um, there are concerns around ICB's um, plans for same-day access hubs and what that means for the traditional model of general practice. And could this spell the beginning of the end for traditional general practice um there's some news um about the um nhs digital framework um commissioning um which uh, is is interesting um <laughs> and um i think that's, that's about it but that's quite a lot yeah, to be, that, yeah quite a, a few extra stories on. in there as well but we'll, let's get cracking shall we and we're going to talk about first of all general practice and the facts as we're talking about this now this is about the stuff that's been coming out from the bma and the gpc and in particular this tweet that has gone legendary in my view. Um, and when you read 
this tweet in detail, it is shocking to me the facts. And these are the facts. These are um, created by Dr. Katie Bramble-Stainer, obviously chair of our GPC, along with some of the information that the BMA and the GPC have been researching from Freedom Information Act, from all the stuff that we've got. But just to read it out for you all. So since 2015, general practice has over a thousand practices gone, over 2000 GPs gone, and over 6 million more patients registered on their books. This is the equivalent of one to two population every month being seen by the number of appointments. And how many appointments are we talking about? 400 million consultations per year on seven to eight percent of the NHS funding. And that's delivered by five percent of the NHS staff itself. Those are the facts. Those are monumental in my view. What do you think, Andy? Because that's the first time you've seen that, isn't it, as well? Yeah, well, we were looking at as we were planning the show. Um, yeah, so really quite quite big, shocking numbers. I was quite shocked to to think that the the population of England must have must have gone up by ten percent um, mm-hmm. in the sort of nine ten years since twenty fifteen, which sort of shocked me in its own right, to be honest. Uh, but if that's happening, obviously you need a similar increase in general practice uh, funding in order to to service those people, and you know half the population seen each month uh, in. In, in, in primary care. I think that's what, what what's meant by that stat. That's pretty yeah. shocking as well. Um, as ever, when you see these figures, you always think, where has this come from? And um, and, and, and Katie's not sort of referenced it within this this tweet, but, but you think this must have come from the, the BMA's um, general practice data dashboard. Uh, and in fact, that, that that's right. And actually, it doesn't take much searching. And we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes to find exactly where this has come from. So they've taken the general practice data dashboard and um, uh, there's been a sort of a, pr- a press release and um, story about it. They've done a pressures analysis uh, for general practice. And that's where all this data come from. And actually, um, uh, you know, actually, her tweet is structured in a similar way to the information is presented here. So, you know, here's the uh, the loss of 2000 whole time equivalent GPs, just about, you know, about, mm-hmm. you know, 1.9, that, you know, 1900 GPs, essentially, Um and uh, they, they pick all these things out. So single full-time GP responsible for, oh, ooh, about 2,300 patients. Wow. You know, it's it's, it's three, three, 350 patients more than it was in 2015. So, you know, it just highlights, uh, you know, a story of increased pressure, really. Um, and it's interesting. And obviously, I think this is the BMA um, trying to take hold of the narrative. And, and um, what do they say? I think Preeti Purcell says, roll the pitch for the debate that's coming. So, you know, prepare the pitch like in cricket, you know, for how you want to bowl. So, mm. um, so I think, uh, again, some quite smart uh, moves by, by the BMA to, um, to get their points out. Did you have any other thoughts about the, the tweet or, or the thinking it, behind it, the strategy behind? Well, we, know, we, we know that the GPC are building towards their release on what the contract is and you know uh, we talked last time with our colleagues ben and tara about the contract uh, itself because obviously we literally got released a few hours before we went live on that particular episode which is done amazingly and stuff but um, in terms of you know we know that the bma and the gpc themselves have said that they don't feel that the contract offered by nhs is fit for purpose um they're sounding like they're looking towards a referendum vote towards the end of the month. It'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple of weeks as we build towards that 1st of March deadline, which interestingly, myself and Andy will be going live next, the day before that happens. 
So you will absolutely want to make sure you subscribe to join us for that live episode and things. But I think it, it it's interesting context. And I know we were going to show the contract stuff, weren't we, Andy, um, in terms of so this is an article from Friend of the Channel Pulse. Um, obviously, yeah. um, you're welcome to go and have a look at it and stuff as they move towards this agreement-disagreement process. But it nicely compares what the, the NHS have set out and what the GPC themselves feel actually is more appropriate. So there's the government offer, 1.9%. You know, modest increase in ours allocations and stuff, and variety of other things like adjusting quaff um, and some changes with ours program. And, and uh, to be honest, minor changes, but the big one is obviously not really a huge amount of funding increase for what is needed to be delivered with all that work being done. An important point that I, I think Katie's mentioned quite a few times, or maybe not Katie, but other people have mentioned. Um, other parts of the healthcare system have been allowed or are in the red or in the negative. Yeah. General practice doesn't go in the negative. When general practice goes in the negative, the practice is shut because they just can't cope. But those patients are still delivered care by other practices that take mm-hmm. on that workload. So, you know, there are parts of the system that have getting bailouts from different parts of the systems, from ICBs and that kind of stuff, because they're felt to be too big to fail. The general practice, unfortunately, doesn't get that same attention respect consideration whatever you want to call it and things and actually despite that it's the only part of the nhs that month on month is increasing productivity yeah as evidenced by the bma's yeah. figures in the bma data center so hats off to them for that yeah um interesting point you make about other areas of the nhs running a, a, a deficit uh, and that was actually another story that ran in pulse and mm-hmm. um katie bramwell stainer comments uh were kind of running through that as well um so you can see you know how they're constructing um their argument this is the mood music for um the negotiations um you know it's really really interesting might might be with just just for people listening just highlighting the government's offering what the gpc are demanding i'll just do it really really quickly so Mm -hmm. 1.9 percent increase to core funding is what offered by the government um less than the current uplift of 2.4% annually on the current five-year mm-hmm. settlement that, that ends at the end of this year in an environment where inflation is currently running at 4%, but has run at much more, and wage inflation is running much higher, so considered not sufficient <laughs> to yeah. meet increasing demands. Very modest increase in ours allocation. I'll just jump down to the other ours change. There's recruitment change in the ours program, brackets nurses to be included, and I don't think we know any more information about that. There were calls for GPs to also mm-hmm. be included in ours funding um you know the only real big increase in funding for general practice over the last five years has been the pcn budget there's been about 1.5 billion pounds for um ours staff you break that down by individual primary care networks often that's about a I think often a million pounds you know per primary care network you know annually i, I think gandhi correct me if i'm wrong um mm-hmm. on our staff none of that has been um permitted or allowed to be spent on actually gps or, or nurses, nurses. And, and some people feel that that's you know, actually with, with, with hindsight, not appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, They're talking about suspension of some quaff indicators, reduction in IIF indicators, um, uh, aggregating the current eight service specifications for PCN DES into an overarching specification, whatever that means. Um, Changes to arrangements for vaccination data recording, which sounds like a very small, well, maybe important, but quite small change to be a headline change. Tinkerings, yeah. Yeah, and changes in the wording of the regulations in relation to patient registration arrangements, the armed forces veterans offer continuity of care and electronic records. So changes to the wording of regulations are interesting. And then the GPC demand in 
Um, obviously, so this is an uplift by inflation for the vaccination, um, uh, item, item service item. fees, and certain statements of financial entitlement fees. Ring fence a proportion of the current spend for the dedicated purpose, dedicated purposes such as GP supervisory tasks or enhanced health in care homes beds premium. So I guess they want that ring fenced um, currently. Some of those things currently exist, don't they? Uh, mm-hmm. Allowing GPs with extended roles to be recruited by ARS. That's probably the big thing that they've been mm. pushing for, for some GP roles to be included in ARS. And inflation-linked core contract increases. So linking that to inflation, which is probably the biggest thing that they'd be asking yeah. for and the most costly thing that they would be asking for. Uh, mm-hmm. And finally, I would say, as part of this, in order for the probable vote um, of membership later this month in order for that to be as impactful in terms of the negotiations as possible um there's a drive and a call for people who are not currently members of the bma to join so that they can vote in that um referendum um be interested to know from people out there actually what they think about the bma's approach to the contract negotiations are you a bma member are you intending to join and um sort of get behind what they're doing um interesting questions i've rambled gandhi what what do you think no, I mean, like you say, it's really interesting. I think the the inflation-linked um, funding increase to the core is rather an interesting perspective because if you look at almost every other service that people use, there is always a line about, well, your mobile phone contract will increase across IPI or CPI or one of the inflation-linked indexes. General practice doesn't, and yet we're still expected to deliver the same level of service in fact increasing levels of service and stuff despite those cost pressures we're going to talk about some of those cost pressures a little bit later on one of which is definitely going to make you a bit oh hairs on end and stuff and things but you know th- there are sensible processes within i think what the gpc is asking for i think a couple of them are um you know the, the um roles being within the r's i it's just it's the name. It doesn't quite fit. It's not an additional role. But then the extended scope part of it. So things like GPs with safeguarding responsibilities, frailty, that could work. And things. I think it's a great idea. Obviously, I think the government needs to come back on with a different offer, whether they will or they won't. We will find out in the next couple of weeks. But I think with that, our next news story is definitely a marker of where the failures have been. Wouldn't you agree, Andy? Yeah, so... This is, again, we often start with a pull story, don't we? Um, mm-hmm. But this is um, reporting on a, a report that's been produced by the King's Fund, you know, another friend of the, the podcast as well, um, that looks at um, uh, funding in primary care, you know, over the past 30 years, and basically reaches the conclusion that one of the big failures in, in health policy has been the failure to fund general practice uh, mm-hmm. and primary care. So not all primary care is general practice to fund primary care sufficiently um, and that that's left us in a worse position in terms of our ability to deal with um, the challenges facing um, the health of our communities Mm -hmm. um, in uh, in England so rambling a little bit but um, it's um, we we had a we've had a little sort of dive in and uh, I guess Gandhi get your reactions but we were going to just talk to some of the the main Mm -hmm. points of the report I guess. Do you want to know how to use System 1 more effectively as a clinician? There are various different things you can look at, but there is only one course that can help you understand this and have all my hints and tips on how to use System 1 so much more effectively. And that's the System 1 course for clinicians. If you want to have a look at it, have a look bit.ly slash S one course, TPP and S1 in capitals. But if you do have a look at it, what will you get? 
Well, you'll get content and information and guides on how to use System 1 more effectively, from getting started with System 1, to navigating the patient record, to understanding the key parts like doing a consultation, as well as prescribing, clinical admin, communication, and various other information. And this includes my hints and tips on how to use System 1 so much more effectively so it saves you time and your patients stress in terms of their navigation with their patient journey. If you want to have a look at it, check out the link. As I said, it's bit.ly slash tppS1 course and the TPP and S1 are all in capitals and you will get access to all this content perfectly. Even better yet, there's a money back guarantee. So if you don't actually find this course has helped save you some time, just let me know. I'll refund you the course once you've completed it and stuff. Catch you then. I think, you know, the King's Funder are great at making these kind of reports to give you perspective and to give you the facts on what is happening. Um, I remember a while back that they said that for every pound invested in general practice, you get £14 back on the economy. Um, I can't remember exactly where that quote came from, but that just goes to show that when you invest in primary care, the returns are compound gains that you will have in the future. And actually what this has shown is that if um, funding had kept uh, pace with inflation the way it should have been, you know, the level of resource and support that you would get in terms of healthcare would be so much more impactful. And actually, I think we would see much better long-term condition care. We'd see much better um, appropriate use of um, acute access care. You know, um, it's a no-brainer, but unfortunately, that hasn't translated through into policy as we see time and time again. Yeah, so we're, we're probably preaching to the choir here mm-hmm. in terms Maybe. of general, yeah. general practice and primary care um, podcast. Um, but they, um, they highlight that whilst um, governments and policy and strategy uh, always speaks to the, the, the moving towards a prevention agenda, uh, moving care closer to patients out of hospital and into the community um the uh the funding and the delivery um you know never actually is sufficient to deliver that vision and there's been an under investment in that 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 vision uh, historically and that that ought to change you know is essentially um what they're driving at um it's interesting looking at their main findings so they highlight you know a, a lack of agreement about the vision of what people try are trying to achieve um, with various um, policy shifts and changes. You know, is it about mm. cost saving? Is it about um, better experience for people? Is it about delivering healthier populations? Um, you know, it seems confused and they're calling for um, a more joined up strategy. Um, often the focus is on, um, visible acute episodes mm. of care um and that's where you know the focus can be so i mean there's currently a focus on you know on, on access isn't there you know mm-hmm. while we talk about prevention actually all of the or, or many of the most visible um uh discussions and um pushes are around access uh, yep. where actually um more work on prevention you know, could deliver much more for our communities. So they're highlighting um, that shift, um, essentially. Um, And then uh, what next? So they're talking about all the usual things, really. Having a clear vision, 
joined up policies, maintaining that vision for the long term, not changing course uh, too often. Um, growth in funding and a shift in funding uh, with more funding going into uh, communities uh, and uh, primary care over time. Um, getting the right workforce in place, training the workforce to do the job, all very, very sensible things. Um, yeah. It may be worth doing another episode going into detail um, you know, on the report. Um, we'll certainly link out to it if people want to have a look at that. As ever with the King's Fund, um, you know, there are good, um, they present Graphics. their data really, really well. Um, I mean, just showing you a little bit about what's in it, but um, you know, just going through and looking at the charts is often a really nice way um, to read these reports if you don't have enough time to read the you know the narrative um so you know really really good work from the king's fund um you know again there so just drawing your attention to that any other definitely. thoughts candy no definitely big shout out to the king's fund as ever they make some amazing reports and we've covered a few of them in the past like you say we're happy to look at you know reviewing this for the gp learners if you want us to and if that's the case do let us know in the comments um alternately obviously we can focus on other things as well um, but I think, like you say, it's an interesting perspective that they've taken. You know, sometimes these reports are things that the government take notice of, and particularly the King's Fund is one of those ones that I know that they have had impact in healthcare policy as a result of the work. We actually covered the the um, Times 10 Health Point plan, of which some of the members of the King's Fund also in, contributed to that plan as well, and you can catch that episode next week and stuff. But I, I think, you know, it just goes to show if you invest in primary care, the gains are there. And it's just a shame that that hasn't been the modus operandi that we've seen over the past few years, which we're going to cover in some of the news roundups that we're talking about next. So this next section, myself and Andy are just going to do a really quick roundup of some of the smaller news stories before we get to some of the bigger stuff and things. Andy, do you want to do this or do you want me to go for it? Are we at um, speed or... Uh, let's just go speed. I mean, I think looking at the looking at the at the time, and I'm really keen to get to the end of general practice as yeah. we know it because I think that's where we might get some good comments. So um, there are some some um, articles in post talking about the, the wait for scans. I think we all we all uh, have been experiencing increased waits for scans, mm -hmm. and it, it, I feel sometimes it's not fair to to highlight you know certain parts of the country you know where they're really struggling with this. I think this is uh, guys in St Thomas uh, in London, but fifteen. 15 week wait for routine scans you know requested mm. through general practice you know uh, really difficult um for patients and clinicians uh there um gp concerns of pharmacy first uh, directs mm. patients back to general practice i think is this is something that we were you know we were all i guess um worried about um mm. i guess it is a new scheme and it's only just been implemented so um you know i think from the first of is it the first of february or did it start first of february first of february um so it's still really early days you know so i'm sure things can um improve uh, what's your experience been at the pharmacy first unfortunately a lot of the local pharmacies around me don't seem to be invested heavily in terms of being able to deliver this scheme and things yeah. uh, i think for those in there is it capacity is just not there and thing um i think one of the challenges with this as well is that you know um they will refer some patients back to general practice because they will say that actually they can't offer treatment um and what patients often then interpret by that is with well, pharmacy aren't going to offer me treatment i'm gonna go back to the practice who might give me treatment so you know it's this bouncing rather than completing the that episode of care actually saying to patients you don't need further treatment the the advice is always we can't offer you treatment but you might get a different response if you go to the gp yeah, if, if you're, they're always going to end with if, if you've still got concerns or worries or questions you're go to your practice, practice, yeah. 
Um, and that's never really a wrong thing to say, um, but it can be a bit confusing for patients. And often that means that they they come yeah. back uh, feeling that they've sometimes heard something different in terms of you can get this from the general practice, but you can't get it from us. So I think mm -hmm. that's just, again, we're just sort of highlighting uh, some themes that we're seeing, you know, within the news and what we're, what we're hearing. Um, Candy, mm -hmm. uh, you were going to talk about um, a new podcast. I always wonder how you have the time uh, to do everything uh, that you do, uh, but this is something potentially that people can get involved in so uh, yeah so far away this sounds really exciting yeah so I, I was trying to think what can we do differently for egp learning over the next year or so and so i'm going to t tell you about epic so epic is the egp learning pod blast implementation consultation uh, which is effectively your opportunity yes you the egp learners to join us and talk about the stuff that you are doing in general practice. So this is going to be a audio podcast version of what myself and Andy sometimes do in terms of talking through different things. So if you have had a change that you've done in your practice and you want to share with other people and stuff, I would love for you to come and join us. It's audio based. So you don't have to worry about being on camera. It's just going to be recorded audio. Absolutely support you with that. If you want to apply, it's bit.ly slash E-P-I-C, EPIC in capitals, and apply. Um, and that will take you to that lovely little Google form that you can see there. A few quick questions for me to, to sort out and stuff, and then that will help me figure out where we go from there. And this is hopefully something that's going to start shortly. I just need people to apply for it. So if you want to join in, feel free to do so. This will be going out on the socials and through the emails and stuff that I have shortly as well, but just wanted to talk about it here. In addition, myself and Andy, as ever, are ridiculously busy doing some other cool things. So I thought it'd be useful to talk about some of the other updates that we've got. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about our PCM Plus course. Sorry, Andy, I know it chops you off, doesn't it? It's really annoying. In fact, let me get to one of the other banners that probably won't do that as much. There we go. That's better, isn't it? Um, so PCM Plus um, 24 live conference. This is on the 17th of April in Nottingham. We have eight tickets left for people to join us in person for this event. That's how booked out it is. So if you want to come and join us, you need to sign up now. That's myself, Andy, Ben and Tara and some other amazing people talking about what is next because this conference is deliberately after the 1st of April. So by that point, we will know what the contract is and what general practice is being asked to deliver. Finally, a week after that, myself and Andy are doing a double header and we're going to be basically doing GP5T7. And this is our first hybrid version. So this, there are still a few face-to-face um, -face tickets left. I think there's about 15 or so. So if you want to come join us for that one, alternately, you can absolutely join on the remote aspects of it. Um, I mentioned earlier that um, if you wanted to join us for some of these, then do hashtag EGPLearner down in the comments now. And we will do a poll at the end, which some people have already started doing for that. In fact, I'm going to prove that to you. And there's a reason I'm going to prove that to you. So let me just do this. So we've got Ritu, who I've met before, um, who's down in London, who's already sticking hashtag EGP Learner, Sabrina Devakumar. And I think, I think this is the Sabrina that I met at an airport about two months ago friend from university at leeds interesting convert uh, meeting and stuff didn't expect that at all um and a few others madas has also put their names in the hat so you know absolutely hashtag egp learner and we will do that draw at the end i'm going to suggest we take a brief break at this point andy and just go to some of the comments we've had because we've had a fair few other good comments. idea 
Yeah, yeah. So absolutely friend of the podcast and, and, and the channel and stuff, Miss Melody. Congratulations on hitting 15,000 subscribers. If you want to go check out our episode that was our journey to 15,000 subscribers, feel free to do so. Um, we've had some other comments, which this one I'm not quite sure on. So I'm going to put this one first. Uh, living with CES is the information for medical charities and their medical boards. I'm not quite sure what you make reference to in that. So if you do want to put that in. Um, yeah, just follow up. I, th- I think she only needs this information available for medical charities and their medical boards. And I, 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 obviously, it's out there in the public domain, so yeah. anybody can can watch this and please um, mm. share our content as widely as as possible. Really, we, we'd love for it to be shared with those people. Thank you, mm-hmm. Jamie Green. So Jamie's done a couple of broadcasts for me previously and stuff, particularly around GP training and stuff. Um, and he's joining us from X or Twitter, whichever we want to call it. My surgery CQC rated as inadequate due to changing chasing access rather than long-term conditions interesting particularly with the change in how cqc are doing their assessments and things uh, lisa massive f- f- friend of the channel and stuff um, over at redmore um, nhs investment would pay for itself 14 times over there you go she's got the quote much better than i did um, and from healthcare consultancy carnal farrar so she's even got the evidence to back it up and things uh who else have we got steve taylor if you haven't seen the stuff that steve puts out on social media it's awesome metrics and data and things it's good funding isn't it one consult in feb meets the gateway point of a thousand pounds even in october only 30 i think this is what he's making reference to the pharmacy first funding scheme which makes a massive difference it's definitely an interesting point and read two comments with, do you think Pharmacy First would be more effective with less bouncing back to GPs in two years as current pharma isn't training in uni and will be qualifying as independent prescribers? It may change. I agree. Yeah, mm. I, I think it needs to bed in a little bit. Um, and we need to run with yeah. the same scheme, you know, for a period of time and not chop, not chop and not chop mm. and change. Uh, I also oh. agree the, the, the funding is pretty good um, for the level of activity that's required to draw down the funding um, mm. at the moment. I think that's just to try and get people on board Um isn't it? But I agree with the point that Steve is um, is making there. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the big news story. Now, interestingly, this is probably the oldest news story about what we're talking about. But you know, the end of acute care, and is this the end of general practice as we know it? Why are we talking about this? Well, about a week or so ago, uh, one of the ICBs have released their plans for having same day access hubs. And in order to make this happen, have mandated it as part of the contract for their local enhanced services that practice will sign up to. That's the part that was interesting, because in order for practice to get access to their enhanced services, um, they have to agree to sign up to these same day hubs, which is part of the fuller report. You know, that big report that basically everybody's been taking attention to when it comes to delivering healthcare for general practice and stuff. Interestingly, now, obviously, Claire Fuller is now our primary care medical director. Um, so, you know, very much likely to be on the agenda for general practice. This is an ICB that's going, by the sounds of it, wholehearted into it. Um, an interesting carrot and stick mechanism. What do you think, Andy? I think this is a really, really interesting story uh, for a few reasons. So first of all, um, it's the first place that this has happened. So we all should be watching this with beta breath to see how mm-hmm. this turns out, because if this goes badly, then this might be um both uh, an intervention and a way of implementing it that that isn't repeated. Um, If it actually works and delivers, and hopefully they'll be, you know, monitoring the impact, um, then it might be something that other ICBs, you know, choose to do. So I think it is really worth watching this story. And I I think the concerns here are in a few 
areas, which are, I think, one, um, the manner in how the change is being implemented. It's being mandated. It sounds like a number of practices aren't happy, but feel that they are being pushed, you know, to, to go to go along with this. Um, there are short term um, uh, concerns um, about the implementation of it and doing it over quite a short time scale. This starts in April and questions around has it been adequately trialed? Uh, you know, can we actually deliver this properly? And then, of course, there are longer term uh, implications for what this means to the traditional model of general practice, which is what we were alluding to, weren't we, in terms of the end of general practice as we know it, mm-hmm. um, because this um, takes away um, low complexity, um, same day uh, work uh, and runs that through a different hub away from uh traditional gp surgeries mm-hmm. which we'll be looking after you know long-term conditions and uh, more complicated patients where uh, arguably the uh, continuity that they can deliver will have more impact but it's a it's a huge change um yeah. I, what, what were your thoughts initially around this story gandhi so um as we mentioned this is the the fuller stock take acute hub mechanism that they're talking about and interestingly um uh, northwest london which is the area that it's been done in i know they've done some really interesting work about digital hubs and and really gone wholeheartedly into that so do they potentially have some of the infrastructure to help with this maybe because they've got some really good learning that they've done from those processes and stuff the interesting thing about this is that it, it focuses on creating these acute hubs, which is, I think, a GP, some of the R's roles, social link worker, that kind of stuff in an acute setting to deal with patients' health issues, both phys- you know, medical health and acute care, but also some aspects with having the SPLWs and that kind of stuff around that holistic care. So it sounds really positive in that sense. I think the issue in terms of that I have with this, and, and obviously we don't know the full detail. We've not been a party to the contracting de- mechanism stuff. This is just the information that is reported in Pulse and other mediums and stuff, um, is about how much engagement has happened with practices to look at this, the timeframes that we're looking at, what's the interoperability with the clinical systems, which is a massive part of this and always one of the pitfalls of these kind of interoperable systems that we have. But also if practices are being told that their additional funding through enhanced schemes is predicated on them signing up to this and they feel that they can't because of the mechanisms of how the staffing will work, then how does that mean for the future viability of those practices? Is it being used as a stick to make that happen? But then actually, what are those practices meant to do with the staff that they already have delivering these services? Now, you could say repurpose them, but some of those roles would specifically have been designed to tackle that acute demand. Now, that's either rapid repurposization, it's a HR prospect that people probably don't really want to consider because that's having to change significantly, or it's potentially making people redundant in some situations. We don't know if that's about sharing those staff with the hubs. Again, that could be part of the mechanism. But the engagement process, it should have happened to do that. That's the part we don't know about, and that's the part that we're not sure but yeah, we don't, we don't know how much engagement there was. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of what's being proposed, I think what, what they're proposing is to, um, at PCN level, um, so bring together single or groups of primary care networks mm-hmm. um, and have a hub located in that geography. Uh, I think they're suggesting that sort of one of the practices might house mm-hmm. the acute hub with the other practices then um, delivering um you know more traditional you know long-term care with complex patients um a little bit sketchy on the rest of the detail really you know would that rotate around Mm -hmm. the different practices or does one practice just become an acute hub all of a sudden um Mm -hmm. uh we don't 
you know, <laughs> we we, we, don't we, know. we don't know. You know, we're just responding to the story, really. If anyone's involved, we'd be really interested to, to, to hear from you. Also really interested in terms of what people um, think about this model. Um, one, I, I've always had a, um, this has always sat a bit difficult with, a bit awkwardly with me, Gandhi, uh, this debate about kind of the acute stream um, mm. versus the kind of chronic complex stream that was highlighted in the Fuller report. And actually this this article does, there is somebody quoted within it highlighting that the Fuller stock take is, does not mandate anybody to do anything. It is a stock take. It is advisory. Mm. Um, so you don't have, people don't have to implement the suggestions in the Fuller stock take. Um, but um, I think I've said this before, but when medical students come in, I show them a video um that is we might link to it royal college of general practitioners in australia and mm. it high, it's highlighting the values of primary care of, of general practice and it shows a gp over the course of his career consulting with various members of the same family and some of the things are you know acute issues some of the things are really meaty things like cancer diagnosis and death and bereavement and all sorts of things and that relationship builds through some of those quicker um, lower complexity interactions and that relationship is then leveraged to really really good effect when something more complicated happens when you when he really needs to leverage that trust that he has with that family and you know so that's still showing you know relation relationship based care which um, the RTGP often talks about um, and I think I think there's a lot of value in that I think also there's potentially a lot of efficiency you know in terms mm -hmm. of separating the streams but i'm really not quite sure where i stand in terms of what i think we should do going forwards but really interested to know what people think and also you gandhi what, what's your thoughts well the video you mentioned is by the royal um, australian college of general practice amazing video if you haven't seen it absolutely go have a look at it and stuff and things and like you say it bases on the relationship big care which the rcgp are keen to show as a model of care moving forward um i think like you say um those acute kind of um contacts help give you the buy-in with patient in terms of that emotional and empathic connection that continuity that then is so valuable later down the line in other episodes of care particularly with young families as well you know it's the trust that comes through with some of those things so are we going to see the difference with that and we can see change in that i think it's also what happens when they're full well they can just go back to the practice anyway so how does that work? What happens if, you know, the clinics aren't staffed? Well, they'll just go back to the practice anyway. So I would love to know more detail on it. I really would. So as Andy mentioned, if there's somebody from NWL who wants to come and talk about this with us, we'd love to do, absolutely love to hear it because it is an interesting perspective. It is something that's suggested by the stock take. Again, it's not mandated. The contracting mechanism does seem a bit harsh to me, but then again, we have seen ICBs and we have seen NHS England uh, as well do some fairly harsh contracting mechanisms that people do not agree with and some that people do agree with. So having the other side of the story, we would absolutely love to see that happen. I guess Andy asked the question, what do other people think? You guys are definitely jumping in on this one. Let's put it that way. So let's go through some of these. So um, Nat Martin, what does this mean in reality for practices? Do they have to use their funding for these acute care services? Do they have to provide staffing? My understanding is they're using ours funding and, and some other elements of funding, whether it's the CAPE funding or other things, I don't know. Again, that'd be useful to know. Catherine Armitage says, aren't these just the Darcy clinics rebranded? To a degree, yeah. But it, I suspect, they, like I said, they're using ours funding to support that and stuff and things. She comments, again, with practices already struggling for space in inadequate buildings, how they're expecting to accommodate these hubs. 
massively important question there. Estates is a real challenge, as we all know, for, for a lot of this kind of stuff as well. Uh, Lisa Drake, I would like to see the new mode followed by researchers to assess any impact on continuity, patient and staff satisfaction. We'd also like to see the governance model behind this. Absolutely, Lisa. Going back to the data, the data, the data. Um, Steve comes in with a couple of things. Let's go for this one. Personally, feel this is a huge problem for patient care. Interesting perspective. And how do you, how often do acute problems of the presentation more complex issues which are being highlighted? So, you know, that's that thing that I think, Andy, you were trying to allude to. That sometimes mm-hmm. the acute ones, you know, obviously not only give you emotional buying with patients, but then actually how some, often are they bigger, more complex things? Or they're the the opener to talk about bigger things. Um, and actually, you know, will that still work? Interestingly, Nat comes back with she likes the model as long as it's controlled by the clinicians and not by the ICB or other managerial-led organizations. Interesting, I think this was suggested and pushed through by one of the consultancy i think it was, it was mckinsey or something like that apologies if i got that wrong mckinsey please don't sue me it sounds like they've um, got kpmg they've got a consult they, they've been named after i mean no, no one likes it when um one okay. of the consulting firms is involved uh do, do they so. yeah and i have to admit I, I like the hub model idea my own network we have an acute hub it's by no means as diverse as what they've got to be honest it's the model i would love to have reached I don't have the funding to deliver that type of model, though. So, you know, some of this evidence I think would work. But again, the practices that I work with are not mandated. They have to have all their other funding streamlined through. I think that's the issue. It's the fact that other practice income is predicated on them signing up to this. That's the part that I think is really tricky. But I can understand from the ICB's perspective, if they're putting investment and time into this, they need to make sure that practices are doing are going to agree to it. And the best way, unfortunately, to do that is to make it a contractual requirement. Mm. yeah it's interesting i mean i i often wonder like many things i wonder if what we'll actually get if this gets rolled out more widely is something Mm. that's a little more watered down and a little less scary really you know because if if what we're getting is um sort of better walk-in centers essentially uh to manage patients who choose and i think actually patient choice will be really important in this about you know where Mm. patients choose choose to be seen because if you want to say you've got a cough but then disclose an episode of domestic violence or something you know i think that's your prerogative to do that you know um mm. and, and, and i wouldn't want those people being directed in the wrong place so if patients you know if patients can choose where they go and actually mm. this is you know a better walking center for people who want quicker care with less complex problems and other people can go to their gp surgery still which is less busy because um you know a lot of that um really rapid urgent care is handled elsewhere you know that may not be you know a a bad thing and it may not be as scary as it sounds you know sometimes these things aren't quite you know what the headlines uh Mm -hmm. say um you know that wouldn't be too bad for me but if we're actually pushing patients um down a certain route that might not meet their needs that's when i start to have kind of issues with it really you know in some ways i'd really empathize with 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 steve's view um in terms of we've had a model of delivering primary care which is really really tried and tested and you know maybe we could meet people's needs if we just funded that better in terms of how we're directing the funding i don't know i don't know still got lots of questions Mm -hmm. so on that point we're going to move on to the next topic which is uh one definitely for our tech uh, preference egp learners and stuff uh, out there so um digital pathways goes off road um so what does this mean well 
For those who have or have not heard about Digital Pathways, Digital Pathways is the contracting mechanism by which NHS England, about back in August, announced they were going to invest £300 million into general practice. Huge amount of money, okay, in terms of general practice over the successive years. It was the framework for how they're going to deliver things like the online consultations and other aspects of digital-related care to general practice. Um, if people may remember, I did a stream roundabout um, uh, just before Christmas that talked about the comparison of the different online consultation providers. And part of that was in preparation to support people understanding the whole concept of digital pathways that was going to come through. Um, why is this important now? Yet again, it's been delayed. And interestingly, this time it's been delayed, not because necessarily because NHS England and, and the groups around it were not ready, that there seems to have been a challenge that has come through that means that NHS England now have to um, address that um, complaint, challenge, oh, I've forgotten the word, uh, claim, uh, there we are, um, against it. Um, now, we don't know who's made that challenge. I suspect it's one of the providers. Um, who knows? Done. Uh, honestly, I have no idea on this. I'm completely spitballing and guessing and stuff. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because a lot of places are waiting to see this level of funding because it is a significant amount of funding that is meant to be delivering the whole concept of modern general practice. So we've talked about the better purchasing framework, the cloud-based telephony and things that, that has happened. This, it was one of the other big frameworks meant to support that model of um, delivery for general practice and unfortunately it's been delayed and i think that's going to have a reasonable impact on general practice moving forward because now a lot of icbs don't know what to procure for the next following year in terms of services and other resources for practices to help deliver patient care <laughs> yeah interesting it's one the, there isn't it yeah it's a problem with these big um big sort of commissioning projects isn't it that um, mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of um law and legal frameworks around contracts above a certain size if i remember correctly and mm -hmm. um, things have to be done in quite the right way and sometimes even if they aren't in the right way they can be challenged and that has to be investigated mm -hmm. so um so slow progress hopefully we get to to where we to where we need to go um just and i guess with two, that two two very few more comments gandhi it might be okay. just, just bringing on just bring steve steve on because it's he's, he's he's highlighting that that things which might seem simple to the patient or simple to um to many people might actually be something um that requires um more uh, uh intensive management earache can be mastoiditis sore throat can mm. be an abscess you know migraines well you know a headache you know there's all sorts of things that can contribute you know to a headache uh, that can be behind a headache consultation so mm -hmm. that's really really interesting and just use ARS funding for GPs. So we're hearing that from the BMA in all sorts of quarters. And, and Nat had also made a further comment, and I guess she's more in the hub camp. Uh, we have a hub at the local cottage hospital, started in January, loved by our practice and by our patients, um, which you know, is, is really good feedback, isn't it? So I think it's mm -hmm. only as these models get up and running and we see how they work that I guess we'll really understand their impact. Mm -hmm. So on that note, I guess the question is what's happening now well we've covered quite a few of the questions and comments from all of our um, egp learners we hope you've had a great engagement with this particular episode next time what do you need to know about well we've mentioned it already we're going to be talking about the times 10 point health plan um, as we dissect it analyze it 
evaluate it and various other eight to it and stuff and things. Um, and if you want to check that episode, have a look here. Alternately, if you want to check out the Where's My GP episode that's coming out this weekend, have a look here. It's fun. <laughs> Painfully fun, but fun. Um, well, no, it's not fun, let's be honest. Um, and as always, we're going to be here to help tech enhance your primary care and learning. Oh, hello there, EGP Learner. I'm Dr. Gandalf, and I often get asked, what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS? Because you tend to do a lot more stuff for System 1. And often I've really struggled to answer that question because, let's be honest, I don't use EMIS on a regular basis. So therefore, trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself. And that really made me feel, well, not great. So I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there. I went and had a chat with one of my colleagues, Dr. Mike from GP on the Move, and him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right. If you use EMIS, but you want to use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, to tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash tpp s1course.